On today's episode, Melinda sits down with three incredible adoptees to listen to their stories of struggle, hope, identity, and belonging. And Melinda shares her personal story of adoption. It's all right here on See Here Love. Well, welcome to See Here Love. I'm your host, Melinda. And this is a very special show for me, a very personal show, because it's about adoption. And for many of you who've been journeying with me on See Here Love for a while, you will know that I was adopted at one week old out of the Abbey Artist House of Friendship in Quezon City in the Philippines. And so this show comes out of really a chance for me to hear from other adoptees about their journey about their struggles with identity and belonging and how they have taken their journeys and stories and made something really beautiful and good with their experiences. You know, there are thousands of kids in Canada and in the United States and around the world that are waiting to be adopted, thousands, thousands in foster care and millions of kids on the street and homeless around the world. And so this story, this this show and these stories are meant to bring awareness about hopefully the need for adoption, but also for those that are adopted to know that you're not alone, that what you're feeling is what I felt and what our next guests coming up have felt too. So let's get started with our first guest, Andrew Reinstra, internationally adopted from Costa Rica, as he shares his story of otherness, belonging and struggle. Let's hear from Andrew. So I'm looking so forward to hearing the story of this guest of mine, Andrew Reinstra, uh, adopted internationally. And I don't want to fill in any more gaps, Andrew, because I need you to fill them in. But thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Melinda. I'm really excited to be here and share a bit about my story. And um, I guess I'll just kind of start out with the beginning. So I'm, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, adopted internationally. I was adopted by missionaries from the Christian Reformed Church in um, Michigan who went down to Costa Rica in Central America and served there for 10 years as missionaries. As part of their sort of investment in the community there, they uh, pursued adoption. And so they adopted myself and two of my siblings. Yeah. And yeah, (laughs) we we ended up actually living then in Costa Rica for a good amount of my childhood um, until I was about 10 or 11 years old. And so that experience, um, I feel like in some ways is different than some international adoption stories where, you know, um, for example, a child is taken from one country and immediately brought to the United States or to Canada. So I felt very blessed to grow up in that environment, especially also having my biological siblings. Um, As far as like, you know, tapping into the next piece of identity, you know, my story it felt like that, like there were several chapters to it. The first chapter, you know, I just lived adoption. Adoption was something that just happened to me. Mm-hmm. You know, my my parents, from the way beginning, my parents were a different skin color than me. So I was very aware that, you know, like these are not my biological mother and father. Um, my sister was also aware and had memories of her birth parents. So growing up, you know, there, from the way beginning, there was no 
but no, not living as an adopted person. And for the very, you know, the, for a very long time in my life, that's just, it felt like adoption was something that happened to me, not something that I necessarily um, explored or something that I necessarily mm. thought about. It just, just was, it was just kind of like the air I breathed, you know? And so, um, you know, I, I grew up in Grand, in, in, I'm sorry, in Costa Rica, and then was brought to Grand Rapids, Michigan, where, you know, I was brought from that sort of international context yes. <laughs> to a very predominantly Caucasian context. So my family, as I mentioned, my, my, uh, my adoptive family, they are missionaries from a, um, a group called the Christian Reformed Church in North America. And that group is uh, descendants of Dutch immigrants to yes. Michigan and, you know, other parts of Canada and the United States. And so when they, um, brought us from, you know, Costa Rica to the United States, we ended up living in a community that was predominantly Dutch. And, and Dutch and white, which I totally get. It was the same as me when I lived in the Philippines and very multicultural, multi-ethnicity experiences and came to Canada in mid eighties and landed in an all Caucasian white environment and neighborhood. And for the first time I was really a standout as far as my own color and upbringing, which was, yes. which was difficult, but go ahead. Sorry to insert, but I was just like, yes, we have some connection points here. No, it's, <laughs> I'll talk mm -hmm. about the group we created later. Maybe you should join. Be cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, talking about that, you know, that experience of transitioning from a very international life to a, honestly, for the most part, a, a bubble of, of one ethnicity being Caucasian here in the United States. Um, you know, that Caucasian bubble, I stuck out, stuck out, you know, yeah. and I actually remember a, a clear moment in my, my middle school years where it hit me and we were playing broom ball, which is kind of similar to hockey. I'm sure, I'm sure Canadians are very familiar with, you know, ice related mm -hmm. sports. So, um, yeah, you know, I was out there on, on the, the hockey rink and I looked out at my, my broom ball pole and I looked up and all of a sudden I just noticed, I was like, no one here looks like me. There were like 60 people here and no one looks like me. Everyone was Caucasian. And that to me, you know, as I mentioned a little bit ago, adoption was something that happened to me, you know, it was just the air I breathed, the water I lived in. It wasn't something I always thought about, but that started waking me up to seeing my life as something that doesn't just happen to have to happen to me, but something I can participate in. Oh, and that's good acknowledging that like what I went through wasn't quote unquote normal. I, I don't think there is a normal in 2021, but I, you know, I was very aware as a child, like to minimize myself, to kind of ignore things that happened, especially things that were racially motivated or mm. things that made me feel uncomfortable about my story. You know, it's just kind of like, just put your head down and keep going. Yeah. So Andrew, sorry. So, yeah. you know, we're talking this identity. Mm -hmm. So we, we are like, brown and yet we're living in a, an all-white household in an all-white neighborhood what did that do with identity in the sense of like who you are I know that you're you know you've alluded to that but I think that's really important because sometimes it felt fractured for me or sometimes it was like am I an imposter in my own in this own world and yet very grateful that I was adopted I mean all these thoughts and feelings in my head uh did how did you feel with that I mean was there ever a time where you're like I wish I wasn't adopted or was there always a, I'm grateful for it. I've just got to figure out how to navigate through uh, some of these, some of these challenges. Yeah. So 
as I keep referring to it, like my life kind of happened in chapters. And that mm-hmm. first chapter was just kind of like, put your head down and just kind of go okay. with the flow. Ignore the pain, ignore the questions, just survive, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, when I came to Michigan and it just became more and more, and I, and I got older, you know, I, I was older when I came to Michigan and started questioning things and, and really reflecting on things that happened to me, you know, feeling othered was a big one you know it's like I I didn't feel like the people who were around me 100% accepted me my story to this day is very mixed Mm -hmm. you know I I don't I don't pass you know well as a Dutch Caucasian person I'm I'm never gonna be that and so when I'm in those spaces people zoom in on me when I walked into church as a child with my family you know people you know um if I'm in the supermarket if I'm at a restaurant you know when I'm in this this community here where it's a little bit more homogenous, it was something that, yeah, I would just feel. And and for a long time, I just kept my head down and ignored it. But then, yeah, through my high school years and then especially in college, I really started thinking through and, and moving into having more agency with my adoption. You know, I started asking more questions and pursuing like, okay, I've felt like an outsider. I've been hurt. I want to stand up for myself. I want to help myself. I don't want to be angry or sad or hurt anymore. I want to work through this emotional journey and this identity journey so that I can become, you know, the person that God sees me as. Because, yeah. you know, a big part of my journey as, a, as adoption I've seen has actually been the journey of discovering God's love for me. You know, I think that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, That's, I love that. I love that. I, I think, you know, I've never heard that, Andrew, about that I decided to, you know, take agency of it to, to, it's really this intentional act to say, I'm going to own it and embrace it versus what I love. It was sort of like, it happened to me. I was adopted. It was sort of out of my control as, as a baby. And now as an adult, I'm, I'm going to embrace it and, and wrestle through it. That's really beautiful. I haven't heard that. That's, that's right on. That's really good. Uh, wow. So you're, it's this otherness, uh, the understanding of, of, of God within, you know, adoption. I, I want to, talk about that because I think there's something very connected to adoption um, and and our faith, mm-hmm. I, you know, the whole adoption part. And I think that over the years would sometimes give me just a moment of connection, right? When I was sort of like not connected with God or not connected with my family, somehow that would kind of come up in my mind. And I'd, I'd know that there was some kind of spiritual mm-hmm. overarching connection with adoption. What would you say about that? That there that there's something there, something really special. Oh, I, I completely agree. Um, I've had, you know, throughout my life, the opportunity to see firsthand the brokenness of my story. And I'll break that out, right? So I've found my birth mother. She lives in Costa Rica in a very remote part, very, very poor, way different life than I would have ever led. I live in the United States. I live with, you know, in, in a mostly Caucasian community. I have access to things and privileges that my family back home would, would only dream about. I've also met my birth father's um, side and his culture. He's an indigenous person in Nicaragua. And actually um, flying back from Nicaragua, as I, I was flying from where my birth dad lived in a very remote area, um, I began to just honestly get overwhelmed with emotion and this feeling of brokenness right like my story can never be back whole right like it felt like that like it felt like this broken jar you know where I have love and for people in all these different places and these experiences all these different places and I'm part of all these different places and what is it in me that is you know like I'm I'm broken 
But then I had this very clear visual of God being this great potter and putting me back together oh. thing. I am the, the connection. I am mm-hmm. the one who's fixing your story. And this, this story may be complex, but it's amazing because that's how I am. And, and to me, that overcame a lot of that brokenness feeling. And I've owned that now. And I look at a lot of the people who I've, I've read about in the Bible, you know, their stories weren't simple either. I don't know why there's this idea that life should be simple. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That there will be suffering, you guys, that there will be difficulty. Like, I don't know where we got this idea of that. Everything was going to be fantastic, great and easy. (laughs) And that you were supposed to have like this life that was just linear. You know, I I look at that that's you know just that that my faith has shown me that the the thing to hold on through to through anything is god god creates mm-hmm. the linearness everything else is up, up for grabs you know right, and, right. yeah so andrew you this is beautiful and then what i love about this is as you're going through these challenges and struggle you decide to to create found a group um of adopted kids in your area. I love that. I, you know, I'm always about like, if we see a need, let's fill it. If, if there's something that's missing, you could be the answer to the prayer of that. And so talk to me about that, because I think that's wonderful that in your journey, you decide to do this. Well, I think it starts again with, um, and I apologize, I'm a long-winded person. I tell stories. Okay. And kind of I know, your total story to get, you know, don't worry. My my team knows that. I go on and on and on in my interviews. So, <laughs> but go ahead. What I see when it comes to issues around being a person of color in, in communities that you're maybe not accepted in, like here, in, when I was in, in the United States, or if you have, you know, adoption in your story, or just feelings of otherness, um, that's a place that evil, you know, will fester. It's a place that evil wants you in. Evil wants you to feel alone, that you have no hope, that no one can relate to you, that you are in this and it's just, it's just your lot in life and you're going to suffer. And I feel like God is a redeeming God, right? And I, and I looked at my story in the past, you know, for that moment, like, wow, it's broken, but it's like, no, it's incredible. I can't believe all this stuff happened to me. It could have mm-hmm. been a broken story, but God yes. works with all these people to meet, make me, you know, and bring me here and bring me to where I'm at. And so I see a lot of adopted kids, a lot of people who are people of color or transracial adoptees who have, I'll be honest, at a place where I was, where they feel alone, okay. you know, they, they, they're in pain, um, dealing with this stuff, you can ignore it, you know, but I just feel like it's so important to create a space for people to come out and, and engage and talk with one another. And right. I found that out just through relating to other adoptees. It all began actually with humor. Uh, a, a woman and I, uh, she was a Korean adopted person. We were at church together and we just started telling each other some jokes that weren't jokes. They were, they were basically microaggressions that we'd experienced, comments from Caucasian people at the church um, that we both could instantly relate to. These were painful right. experiences, but we could laugh it off together. And we were like, wow, if you're going through this and I'm going through this, I've been suffering, you've been suffering. And now we're laughing about it and we're moving past it. Mm-hmm. Let's keep doing this. And I know other adoptees, let's bring those people in. And so wow. we sort of laughed in that face of loneliness, laughed in that face of otherness, laughed in the face of racism. And it's worked, you know, like our, our group is not a therapy group. 
It's more just like, you know, meet up with people who are adopted and I, I guess all on this identity journey together. And yeah, it's wonderful. It yeah. So, and they just find you how? I usually either one, I, I find them, you know, like I'm okay. very open to just talking with people, you know, and if people have adoption stories, I'll share mine and people will, you know, want to open up about theirs or will advertise, you know, so okay. we've done some things on social media and we're, you know, we're interested in, in getting new people involved. It's something that I find very important and very healing. Right. Um, we Amazing. don't, yeah, I think I would make one big distinction, you know, with our group, I've really felt that people leave feeling community over just feeling questions or pain or, right. or that can be a piece of the time we spend together. But I've found that there's just so much healing that happens in community because like I said, sure. that darkness likes to fester and keep us yeah. apart from feeling, you know, just sad, hurt and alone. So, yeah. so two yeah. quick things, Andrew, I want to ask number one, are you grateful and thankful that you were adopted? That's a tricky question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I am, but it's also something that I'm realizing, um, that God blesses all people. So I don't look down at my birth family and say, I escaped something, you know? I, I think that I could have had a relationship with God there. I could have had laughs there. I could have had right. you know, hugs and, and wonderful experiences there. So I, I grew up very much believing I had escaped something, but going and actually meeting them, I'm realizing I'm just in a different something. And so I'm grateful for the life I have, but I also, I know that it's dishonoring to God to say that the life that they have is not good mm. and I escaped it. So I'm, I'm grateful for what I have, but yeah. I also be grateful and I hope that I would be grateful if I was there, you know? So that's it's a good perspective. I like that. And then second of all, for an adopted kid who is struggling today, uh, who is struggling with identity and otherness, uh, maybe has not found their birth family, maybe will never, uh, encouragement to them today uh, from your own experience? Well, the biggest thing I want to say is you're not alone. You know, um, try and find people online. I think that the internet is an amazing resource for finding other adoptees, groups, people who are going through something similar. Um, don't give up on yourself and what you can go through. You know, what seems like an end can be a new beginning. Um, I think honestly, just increase your relationship with God. Always, always be walking with the Lord and for his direction with your life and your emotions and your spiritual health. Um, I couldn't have done any of the transformation that's had in my life, that's happened in my life without the Lord. So I believe, mm. you know, just go walking with God is one of the most important things. Um, so yeah, um, I, I'd also say, don't look towards human beings for acceptance. Look towards what God says about you and, and who you are down to the way you look, you know, you are beautifully and wonderfully made. So don't mm -hmm. look to the people around you for what is a beauty standard or a handsomeness standard or height yeah. standard or anything. You, know, look, look <laughs> height, you got it. I know as someone who's like under five foot, thank you for that reminder, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's always been that thing. You know, Andrew, thank you so much. You know, so many good takeaways from your story uh, so many things that actually captured me that that really struck me in in about not looking at my birth family as like, oh, I'm glad I escaped that or wasn't as good as the life I have. But in all things, that it would have been a different experience for me if I if I'd stayed with my birth family. Uh, but wow, what an incredible story. You're an incredible man. And I'm so grateful that you were here today to share your story, to give encouragement. I love 
the imagery of the pottery and beautiful. So hopefully we can connect again because I have so much more to tell about my own story of adoption. I'd love to join your group and we'll have to make sure that we connect again. But thank you for all you do. God bless you in your life and the work that you do as well. Thank you so much for having me, Melinda. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much. From the host of See, Here Love, Melinda Estabrooks and 50 of her guests and friends comes the book, Always Know, full of stories of lives that are inspiring, wise, and life-changing. God hears you. He hears your prayers. He hears the longing for connection. He hears the cries of pain that you're experiencing, and He loves you deeply. This month, with your ministry gift of $25 or more, or when you become a new monthly donor, request your copy of Always Know. It is a collection of stories to help you today in the things that you're struggling with, the things that you are confronted with. And I know that these stories will encourage you. Call 1-800-265-3100 or visit seeherelove.com slash always know and request your copy. Julie is Jeremy's birth mother, who she gave up for adoption when she was 16 years old. And Julie and Jeremy, I'm so glad that you're with us today here on See Here Love, because I'm, I'm, I'm so interested and excited to hear your story, Jeremy, about your story of being adopted and identity, and Julie, your story as a birth mother. So Jeremy, you are adopted. Let's hear about, I want to hear about your story. You know, this show is about, you know, identity and belonging as an adopted kid. It's sort of spotlight and highlight on kids that were adopted. So tell me at what age you found out you're adopted and, and what was sort of the process of you growing up knowing that you you were adopted? Uh, I, I don't remember a time that I didn't know. Um, it was very important to Julie when uh, I was adopted that I always knew and it wasn't some big secret that I found out later on in my life. Uh, so I, I'd always known um, kind of that's where I came from. And to me, it was almost a, a cool story. It didn't as much seem reality because I was so out of touch with it. Um, but I was always told that I looked like my parents as well. Uh, which again was another one of Julie's plans. She wanted me to be with people who I would try to fit in with. And I, I didn't feel so out of place. Um, mm -hmm. So were you at all, when people found out, was there any bullying or anything that made you feel like, oh wait, ooh, I don't belong. Or maybe I was unwanted or any of those kinds of feelings um, that you might've experienced? Personally, no. When you know, if anyone ever did try to make fun of me, I would say, well, I was chosen. Yes. And that would kind of shut yes. everything down. Yes. Thank you. That's exactly what I would say. And it, it was actually really bad because when my sister and brother and I would get into a fight, Jeremy, uh, we would fight. And I have two older brothers and sisters that are there, like biological children, my parents. And then I would, my dad and mom remember this, I would stand up like six years old, little Melinda and be like, well, I just have to tell you something. If you're going to be mad at me, mom and dad had to have you, but they chose me. And that would shut down the conversation right away. It was like a one up, you know, but 
that's so that's so good. That's so healthy. That that chosen piece, Julie. For you, um, you know, just just the process of giving up your child for adoption. What was that for you? You know, and I think it's good to hear from a birth mother about that whole experience of of that, and then the years ahead. Like my mother, who prayed for me every day that I would be okay. What was your experience after you gave up, Jeremy? It was it was very hard. I had always wanted to be a mom and he was my firstborn, but I knew that God was calling me to do that. And so I had confidence in my decision. I actually never regretted my decision, um, but I cried a lot. He was born in June and June was a really, really hard month for me every single year. And um, I prayed for him a lot. I actually, there were no open adoptions back then, but I did request um, permission to write letters. And so I did actually write every year on his birthday. So I think that was part of the healing process for me, just that I knew my job was to just let him know how much I loved him. Even if I never heard anything back, I just wanted to communicate that to him. Mm-hmm. Now you were reunited three years ago. Is that right? About three years ago? Yeah. Tell me about that, Jeremy. What what was the need or desire to to reunite with Julie and Julie for you, the the experience? But Jerry, let's start with you. Why and what was that like? Um I I'd always wanted to, you know, ever since I was a child, I'd always expressed to my parents that I wanted to I guess find out where I came from. Um and I didn't know how far that was gonna go if I just wanted to meet and find out the basic questions of like health history and and biological history or if I you know really wanted to get to know the person but that was kind of what I'd find out at the time Um, and like Julie said she wrote me letters all throughout the years Um, in the beginning multiple per year and then kind of later on it was one per year but always on my birthday Um, and then when I was 17 my dad took me out, showed me the letters and started reading through all of them to me. So at that time, it was, you know, it was incredible. It was learning all this stuff, but it was still almost a story. It was still just words on a page. Mm. So in meeting Julie, to me, that was kind of closing that chapter and starting something else, you know, starting, uh, I guess, a new new journey, a new chapter. It's mm, good really good. Hey, it's Chris, friend of See Here Love with Melinda. Sorry to interrupt this conversation, but I just had to let you know that the only way that See Here Love gets to produce fun and authentic conversations like this one is through your financial donations. So go to seeherelove.com and click on the big donate button. Thanks for your support. Let's get back to the show. Julie, for you, when it was like, we're going to reunite after three years, what was that like for you? And that processing, uh, maybe the night before you're going to meet Jeremy. It was really hard to process because when he was around, I would say maybe 19, 18 or 19, I had actually um, written to his parents asking a couple of questions that I just wanted to know the answer to. And one of them was whether he had come to Christ. I just wanted to know if he had, because he was relinquished to Christian parents. And when I received the answer to my questions and found out that he did know the Lord, it's almost like this weight was lifted. Like, okay, I can let go of ever meeting him this side of heaven. Mm -hmm. You know, if, 
if I know that he knows the Lord, then I will, I'll spend eternity with him. So I was able to let that go a little bit. So when he did reach out, it floored me and I sobbed and sobbed just out of sheer joy. Like I couldn't believe that my dream had come true and that we were going to meet. And I was so nervous, <laughs> so nervous. He tells me he wasn't nervous, but I was so nervous to meet him. There wasn't as much uh, build up for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to ask this in light of it, adoption and, you know, Julie, for you, so important that, you know, Jeremy knew, knew Jesus, you know, was, was in a home that, that knew him, followed him. What is for you sort of this connection of adoption and sort of, you know, God's plan for us? Because I think there's something really connected into family and love and adoption and God. And I could go on and on and on about it because I love it. But I, I just know that there's something very sacred and wonderful um, about adoption within the context of, of our faith. Julie, what would you say to that? I just always wanted him to know how loved he was. I never wanted him to question, you know, if I was abandoning him or rejecting mm-hmm. him because that was the absolute furthest from the truth because it was because of my love for him and how much I wanted him to uh, feel accepted by his family and uh, be loved by them. And I put a lot of thought into who I would choose for his parents. And uh, it was not random. It was very purposeful, the choice that I made in, in his family and just wanting him to have that connection, wanting him to be raised by Christians and to come to know the Lord. And um, I think it just speaks of God's heart for us, too. Like he has adopted us, you know, and so somebody who has been adopted probably grasps that even more, right, mm-hmm. than, than those of us who haven't gone through an experience like that. But we all have been adopted. So it's, it's just an incredible, incredible piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeremy, what, I mean, you probably have done this, but what would you say to Julie, but also your adopted mom? And I say this because I, I I always say this when I'm talking about my own adoption story that I say, I have to say something of, of thanks. What would you say to Julie? What would you say to your adopted mom as, as far as the choices that they've made that you are here today? Um, and not to put you on the spot, but I am. <laughs> uh, it's, it's honestly like I am who I am through through both of them right like it's it's that combination of nature versus nurture that we were talking about you know there's so much that I learned and got from my parents but then finding out there's also so much that I got from Julie as well um so like if it weren't for either of them I wouldn't be here today so you you kind of owe or I kind of owe like who I am and everything to both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. You know, thank you so much, Lynn Jeremy, for sharing. I, I think it's a beautiful picture of you together. Uh, you know, it's, it's a wonderful story of, you know, reunion. Just want to say thank you so very much for coming on today, for sharing your story. Uh, so encouraged about your relationship and uh, really excited to see um, where Jeremy, God is going to take you. And uh, thank you, Julie, so much for your, your courage and love. So thanks for being with us. Thank you. The number of COVID-19 cases.
changed. It's all changed. But the Word of God remains unchanged. You know, I was thinking about my life as a single parent child growing up without a father and how even in my adult life, the effects of fatherlessness still thread through today. I see them. I notice the patterns and the cycles. And it really was what spurred me on in the beginning to do the work that I do with at-risk youth and with children of low-income housing and really pouring into their lives because I recognize that void. You see, so many of the foster kids that I work with, their desire is burning for one thing, a forever family. You know, if a family gives a child a sense of grounding, a sense of identity, it, it establishes worth, a feeling of love, protection, safety, all the things that you can imagine a family can give. And without those, they struggle. And you know, I think about the importance of spiritually, emotionally adopting those that maybe we can't physically adopt. I encourage you as you're thinking about your life and where God could be calling you to think about mentorship in ways that maybe you haven't thought about before, emotionally adopting a young person. You see, when you feel like you come into a place of adoption, you feel a sense of entitlement into the love and the care and the healthy space to be curious, to find out what you're called to do, to make mistakes and know that there's always a safe place to fall. And isn't that what we all want? And you know, in so many ways, we as believers, we have that. We have that safety net. We have that protection. We have that sense of love. We have our identity because we ourselves are adopted. You know, the Bible says in Galatians 4, 5, 4 verses 4 and 5, but when the set time has fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship and as sons and daughters of God we step into the legal right of his love and his protection and his care for us a sense of identity a sense of belonging and I encourage you today you're listening and maybe you're wondering how can I serve in bigger and better ways think about emotionally adopting someone is there a young person in your life without a parent without parents that may be struggling and trying to find their way. Ask God if you could be that lighthouse for them as someone was also for me. You and I are adopted by a loving God and that's the best news of all. God bless you. Well, next is a story of an incredible young woman, Tori. Peterson. Tori lived in 12 different foster homes growing up, beginning at the age of four. And now she's doing some incredible work with her husband, which I won't give away so Tori can tell us what she's doing. But Tori, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you are with me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So Tori, let's talk about the beginning. If you can share a little bit about family of origin and then how your experience was in foster care for so many years. So when I was nine years old, my mom told me that I was conceived out of rape. 
And of course, when you're nine, you don't really understand what that means other than um, it kind of answered the question of why I didn't know who my father was for so long. And my mom did have many boyfriends and I always called them dad, but I didn't understand why my dad continued to change while everyone else's usually stayed the same. Mm. And my mom, she struggled with severe mental illness. And I think my mom, she definitely, not I think, she definitely did try her best as a mother. She um, she sacrificed a lot for me. She worked really hard for me. She picked up jobs so that she could be home. She saw it to be a value of being a stay-at-home mom. Um, she really cared about my education. But there just came a point where the mental illness became so bad. And right, that's that's what generational trauma is. That's mm-hmm. what it does. She had hurt from growing up that was just never healed. You know, she, I think about the resources that we have today and it's just wild. You know, my mom didn't have those resources. She didn't have social media bringing to light these various mental illnesses that she had. She didn't have support groups around her like, like that we have modern, mm-hmm. modern day that are so helpful to us. So my mom just had a lot of unhealed trauma. She had been trafficked. Um, she had struggled in some prostitution. And so there's just a lot of trauma there. And her mental illness became so harmful to me that I had to go into the foster care system. I went to the foster care system first when I was four years old. Eventually, I, I did end up going back with my mom and then grew up with her until I was 12 years old. Went back into the foster care system. I lived in 12 different homes. And I moved for various reasons. Sometimes it was my fault. Sometimes I I sabotaged it and I didn't want to be with the foster parents. And sometimes it was the foster parents' fault. Um, There was abuse in the home um, that was brushed under the rug. And I I ran track all throughout high school and I was decent at track. Um, I... I loved it more because I loved my coach. He was like my consistent adult figure throughout all the moves. He was there and he just became like a friend. So throughout these, you know, four years, I'm moving throughout all these homes. And for three of those years, there's my track coach and he's just consistent father figure that I never really had. Mm -hmm. And in between my junior and senior year, I just moved into my, into another foster home. And my track coach goes, Tori, I think you can win the state track meet. And I think you could actually get a scholarship to college. And I had wanted to go to college, but I had actually just attended an orientation. And they told me how expensive it was going to be. (laughs) And I was like, oh, maybe not. Maybe I won't go to college. Um, But then it was like, okay, maybe I do have a chance to go to college um, if if I work really hard. And I became a four-time state champion in track and field. Wow. Way to go, Tori. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Good and job. that is, that was what paid for my education. And then in, during this time of training, my track coach, he, he was driving me um, to and from homes, not, um, not any particular home. Because I had emancipated out of care. I had chosen to emancipate out of care because I felt like it just wasn't a healthy place for me to be. There was a lot of corruption with caseworkers, a lot of abuse, again, just being 
brushed on, brushed on, brushed on, brushed on, brushed on, as a foster youth because of the the liability that I was considered so I decided to emancipate and my track coach again was just this support and he's driving me to and from all these different houses I was instantly homeless the day I turned 18 and he goes driving me home from practice I, I asked my daughters he has two daughters I asked my daughters and they said that they would really like you to be a part of our family. Oh, and- that makes me tear, Tori. I'm like, tearing. So essentially, like, becoming a family, but being adopted into this family with a man who was like a father figure who has helped you. How did you redefine home? Like, you didn't have home. Going from foster care to foster care, it wasn't home. It was a, it was a building in place. But what did home mean to you when you were adopted and brought into this family? What did that mean, family and home to you? Yeah, I think um, family has always been just this really hard concept, I think, because with family, there's this idea of loyalty. And I think as an adoptee in a form of foster youth, you like never truly feel loyal because I still talk to my biological mom. And mm-hmm. when I go home for Christmas, when I go to Scott's, my track coach for Christmas, I still will go see my mom and I'll still see these other foster families who did support me and love me. And so I, I always tell people, I just want to make family wherever I go. But I know that was Scott. That's like my forever family. That's the family. That's my home base. Mm-hmm. That's who I can go to no matter what. It was just like, sometimes it's still so surreal. Like he, like growing up, I I thought that I was never going to have a father to walk me down the aisle. And I did. Um, And it just means so much to be given something that you thought you wouldn't, you wouldn't have. Yeah. Yeah. So you get married and you and your husband, this is such an amazing part of your story, Tori. Like it doesn't, it's like, it's not like it just ended and you're like, okay, now I'm just going to go on with my life. But you and your husband started something really amazing and expanded your family. And I think it's such a beautiful picture of sort of your own story and opportunity to give others an opportunity. Talk to me about what you're doing now. So my husband and I became certified foster parents and awesome. It was wild. We came, we came certified foster parents. And then someone contacted me through social media and they said, I I live in Minnesota. And they said, I live in Minnesota. And I know this young man, he, he came across our church and to some capacity, he knows this woman in our church um, and he needs a home. And we live like two hours from this woman who had contacted me over social media. And it's, it's so complicated. This young man, he's an immigrant and his immigration status makes it unable for him to go into the foster care system, even though he's not mm. legally an adult. So he's homeless. He's living out of his car and he's living in public bathrooms where he works. And so I say, I would love to meet him. Um, do you want us to meet you? Do you want to come here. She comes to our home, brings the young man. He didn't bring any of his things. 
um, he said, I, because I, I, he says, I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to stay with these people. And then he gets here and we meet and we have lunch and he goes, actually, I think I want to stay here. I think I like these people. <laughs> <laughs> so we drive all the way back two hours and we get his book bag, just a book bag of a couple pairs of pants, a t-shirt and his documents that um, talk about his immigration status and his, his, him being from Liberia and all these things that mm-hmm. um, I just really know so little about. It's so wild how you can have a similar background as someone, but really know so little about where they come from. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he's just opened my whole world up to this, um, to the struggle of immigration, to the struggle of vulnerable youth who immigrate to America. Um, and yeah, he, he's our son. We officially adopt him in February and wow. we just adore him. He's a great kid. So is this, so you run a local nonprofit focused on local adoption and you have two biological children, one adopted son, and you're also a foster parent. Come on. Like it's, <laughs> it's amazing. It's really amazing. Um, what you're doing in light of like all that you, you know, I think that's the story, you know, Tori, that you could have been so angry at your life situation and angry at the system. And, and, and sometimes it'd be like, rightfully so, but you've taken all of your life experience and are making this choice. That is so good. And I was like, I was angry for a really long time. I remember in high school, I was really, really mean. And then, so my, my 11th foster home, the, the foster parents, they proclaimed Jesus's name. And I had a lot of questions about God at that point in, in my journey. And so these people are pro- proclaiming Jesus's name and then they're abusing their kids behind closed doors. And so I was very confused about who is this Jesus guy mm-hmm. who is supposed to be so loving mm-hmm. and so comforting and so good that the people who proclaim him do not look like the man I'm imagining, the man mm-hmm. that I hear these stories about in scripture. And so I was really bitter, really angry. And then I moved to my 12th foster home after that abuse had been reported. I moved to my 12th foster home. And there was this, it was a single mom who just loved the Lord. She was wow. so vibrant. And it, I almost, I look back and I see I really think that God wanted to show me that contrast. Like we can mm-hmm. be Christians and we can use it as a mask. We can use it as a way to make ourselves look good and cover up all the bad stuff we're doing. Or we can, we can be Christians and we can confess the bad parts of ourselves and we can proclaim Jesus' name and also walk out our faith in a way that looks like him. And so this woman just really... There were, there were a lot of people in my life, like my track coach and like mentors who proclaimed Jesus's name and really did look like him. But I think this woman in the contrast that she showed me in my foster home was the start of that anger kind of fading away. Wow. That's really important. I think it's important for anybody who follows Jesus that, you know, the influence and impact we have with people that come into our lives in and out how we represent Jesus, are we loving and kind and following him in the way that he lived out his life uh, with great empathy and sacrifice and service and justice. Like 
those are important things. I, I want to end the conversation, Tori, with, you know, for, for somebody who is a young person who's really struggling, maybe coming out of the foster care system, maybe in, um, who, you know, young person who's adopted and struggling with identity, what would you say to them to encourage them today? You know, just practical things or even with following Jesus, what would you say to encourage them if they're really, really having a hard time? I think the thing that encourages encouraged me so much, it, it was something that people told me my whole life, but I didn't connect it to God until later. But that, that idea that Jesus has a purpose and a plan for us, that our suffering is not wasted, that it can be used to help others, that it is used to bring glory to our heavenly father. That is what sustains me even in my suffering today, because all of the trauma is not healed. I still have triggers. I'm still hurting day to day. Mm -hmm. But in that suffering, what I think about what Jesus did for me, and when I think about being eyes to eyes with him someday, it's all worth it. Wow. Corey Peterson, thank you so much. Your courage, your faithfulness, your resilience, your perseverance. Wow. Such an inspiration to me as I just meeting you, but getting to know you. Thankful for the work that you're doing, your open arms and heart in uh, loving kids. Grateful for you. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. It's a special honor to be on See Her Love with my adopted daughter today and to be able to share the good word with you. And the word for today, of course, is adoption. And if you are someone who was humanly adopted, and maybe you are struggling with that a little bit, I want to encourage you today. Because the good word says that, first of all, God knows you. He knows each and every one of us. The psalmist in Psalm 139 expressed it this way, that even when we were still in our mother's womb, God was the one who knitted us together and who watched the whole process and who through all of our life has been watching us and thinks about us. And the psalmist says, it is so wonderful to know that your thoughts about me. God knows you. And then the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, he says these words, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him much pleasure. Isn't it incredible to know that not only does God know you, but God chose you. What a wonderful feeling, what a wonderful position to be a chosen person. We use this term with human adoption today. Um, chosen children. Even Melinda understood that as a very little girl. When she could just begin to reason, we would sometimes hear her say to her older brother and sister, Mommy and Daddy had to take you, but they chose me. <laughs> well, we did indeed. And what a wonderful situation to be in to be especially chosen. The good word goes on to say, it's not only that God knows us, but God also chose us 
and he adopted us into his family through Jesus Christ. So if you today are a follower of Jesus, you are adopted too. And if you're a human adopted person, you can say you've been adopted twice. God knows you. God chose you. And God has even adopted you when you come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. That is incredible love. Incredible love that he knows you, chose you, and adopted you. Well, that was a really, really special show for me, especially as a child who was adopted. And I continually am grateful for my birth mom, Dory, who gave me up and made that courageous decision. And for my mom and dad who adopted me, Paul and Diane, who expanded their hearts and family to include me forever grateful. I think one of the takeaways after listening to Andrew's story and Tori and Jeremy and Julie's story is that yes, for a lot of adopted kids, we struggle with identity and belonging. But there was always this constant reminder that Jesus is with us, was with us through that time, that there are people that understand you, that you're not alone. And so I'm encouraged by that. And I hope you are too, that you're not alone and that God is with, with you uh, each day of the week and each week of the year. Well, for more information about our guests and resources about adoption and support, go to seeherelove.com. My dad has written a blog uh, to encourage you uh, if you have adopted kids or you're adopted. And our wonderful sponsor, Canadian Bible Society, has resources of verses to help you in your journey. And here's something I just want to say that even if your family of origin is tough and your circumstances were tough, if you were in foster care, your adopted family wasn't that great. God loves you. He knows you and he is ready and able to redeem your story today. And as you choose him, as you choose to be courageous and, and live a life um, that is good and that you are living out your calling, know that you are seen, you are heard, and you are deeply, deeply loved by God. Love with Melinda Estabrooks is a production of Crossroads Christian Communications Incorporated, a member of the Canadian Council of Christian Charities. To support this program, please visit seeherlove.com and click the donate button or call 1-800-265-3100. And from me and the See Here Love team, thanks so much for your support.